Hello all, this is your fearless host, Rowdy, and we are at the Inclusive Activism Podcast, where making and creating belonging and loving spaces is what we actively do. And I am here with one of my long-term friends, but not get to interact as often as I'd like, uh, Colby Martin. He's my pastor away from home, uh, and so I get to attend his church, Sojourn Grace Collective, and I highly recommend if you are Christian and you do like doing this work, connect to Sojourn Grace Collected because a lot of great messages about the work that we do here and being spirit-led and feeling as though this is the place or space for you to be. Uh, he also has the Colby and Kate show for progressive Christians. Oh, you got to switch around. Right. Kate and Colby Kate show. And Colby show. Thank you very much. Colby and Kate show, that's a totally different thing. <laughs> Does it exist? That's life circa 2004 to 2012. Most of the days are over, so. Well, good. Then we've Kate evolved. Kate and Colby, Colby show. Yeah, that'll make it easier to find, too. Uh, so I'm really excited that we have the opportunity to sit down and talk. And so first thing first, Colby, I'd just like you to kind of introduce yourself in the way that you see fit. Uh, we had a little bit of a conversation before we started here. But who are you? Why do you walk the walk that you do? What you feel like has led your life to this space? Uh, also, uh, I wanted to point out, Colby's written a book called Unclobber, which uh, takes away the clobber passages in the Bible that are used traditionally to separate uh, folks from the LGBT plus community from normal Christian spaces. And hopefully we'll walk right around. Can be writing a book on this hammer tea topic. Yeah. He, oh, sure. Yes. That's you'll have to tell that, us that's about the, that. That's too. the third book. That's the third book. Second okay. book is is uh, in the in the works, and I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Just yet. Okay. That'll be number three. All right. But yeah, if you want to introduce yourself. Great. Uh, thank you, Rowdy, for the invitation. So, hello, listeners. Uh, my name, as Rowdy said, is Colby Martin, and I am a father of four boys and a husband of one wife. Yeah, like Rowdy said, my wife and I, so we, we, we co-pastor a church that we started in San Diego about four and a half years ago, and we also co-host a podcast, the both of these you mentioned, but they kind of go in my introduction because um, those are some of the things that are most important to me, mm -hmm. being a father to kids and being a partner to uh, my wife and doing creative good in the world with mm -hmm. her. Like, those are the things that matter most to me. Yeah, so I... I um, when I when I have to describe myself right now, I say I know I know less about myself than I know about myself. <laughs> so I don't really know who I am. I've been in this period of getting to know myself through uh, through therapy and through, through self discovery for the last three four years. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fascinating how little I really know myself. I know a lot about the facades and the images that I've exhausted 32 years of my life building. Mm -hmm. I know those pretty well, right. uh, but that's not really me. So I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on a journey. Well then let's pick a role in which uh, sure. we'll allow you to introduce yourself. So part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is you came from a very judgmental, evangelical space uh, as far as you and your Christian journey yeah. to now being one of the more progressives, more holistic, more welcoming churches uh, in San Diego. Uh, you know, in Phoenix, there's nothing. 
like what you have. Yeah. Uh, so I have to listen to you in San Diego and then there's just another Baptist church in Harlem, which is great. So we kind of like nice. toggle off and on. I just in Harlem last week. Really? Walking around, yeah, it was Oh, great. it's amazing. I gotta make sure you know the church so when you're there next time. Yeah, it was really cool. It's called First Corinthian Baptist Church. Okay, okay. Uh, but the pastor, Reverend, Mike, Reverend Michael Walthrop, uh, really great. But he, traditional black church, but also LGBT friendly, which is not common. Yeah. yeah. But talks about, uh, you know, we've had gay people in church forever. There's people in the choir, you knew they were gay. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. wanted to act like they yeah. were, you know. Um, but now you find yourself in this space, not only having a church that's growing, which is fantastic, uh, but then also trying to have a podcast to talk to other progressive Christians. What's that journey been like? Uh, who were you, um, and how has it brought you to this space? Yeah, when I was uh, when I was 17 years old, I went on a trip with my youth group at the time, and I really just went. I grew up in Oregon. I really just went on a trip because it was down in Southern California. I thought it'd be fun to spend a week beaches in SoCal, and I liked my youth pastor. So as far as the event itself, I couldn't really care less. I, I was born and raised in the church, so going to church was just a thing that I did. It wasn't necessarily a thing I enjoyed or, or was invested in. I would say like a lot of teenagers just sort of went because my parents uh, made me go. But then this event, uh, when I was 17, this event in Southern California was designed to train high school students how to witness to random people, <laughs> like just how to, how to spin any conversation, how to, how to Jesus juke any conversation into a, uh, an event, evangelistic moment. They would train us in the morning and then send us out to go two by two and do street witnessing in the afternoon. And I get back rowdy that uh, first day and, and uh, I get back to my room and I'm just completely broken. And I don't know why, like I'm on my bed just sobbing, which is not something I did mm -hmm. at that time, um, just completely felt uh, exposed and, and like a fraud. Because I, I realized in that moment I was out there telling people about uh, a God and a relationship with Jesus, um, telling them they should have it, and, and knowing that I did not. Like, I just felt so fraudulent. So it was in that moment, I, I tell that story because it was in that moment that I had this radical shift of uh, deciding, okay, I want my life to be oriented around um, God and not myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the moment where I'm like, I want, I want to be in ministry full-time, uh, ditched my plans to be a graphic designer, and I uh, went to uh, a liberal arts college and got a pastoral ministry degree, and that uh, began my journey into full-time ministry. I, I learned how to play guitar and sing, so I did music ministry for a number of years. But as you, as you mentioned, this was all firmly entrenched in a very conservative evangelical world, and I became excellent at it. I was a fantastic Bible answer guy. I, I knew all the answers. I had great certainty with my beliefs. Um, I was really a, a shining star in, in like the evangelical world. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, the, the, the young man the parents hope their boys grow up to become like and women marry. Like, yeah. ah, like this beautiful shining example. But yeah, then, but then I, I, I read some things that maybe weren't uh, in that world and started to ask some questions that I, I've never been allowed to ask before. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing uh, Christianity as this super narrow stream, like this one Baptist, I'm a recovering Baptist, uh, mm -hmm. like this one stream of, 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 of religious expression, I began to just through reading and meeting other people, as many of us do, this is kind of just the normal, typical journey of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I just began to be exposed to all, all these questions that I'd never asked before. And that, and that, you know, shortly after college, and that set me on a journey that I'm still 
uh, tracking down with it. It moved me far left of center. Mm -hmm. So, so that that to go to your point, that how I got where I am now was just a series of dominoes falling. Um, when I started asking questions of the faith and started allowing the Bible to be more what it is instead of what our uh, what my faith demanded that it be. Yeah, so I started questioning the, the nature of God, I started questioning uh, how we read the Bible, I started questioning uh, what is sin, and eventually, yeah, that led me to question our church's long-standing posture towards uh, homosexuality mm -hmm. and the, the justification that we've used the Bible for uh, to exclude LGBTQ people from churches. And uh, when I went to the Bible and, and tried to study these passages for myself and really put them in their context and understand them, I came out on the other side with a more inclusive, holistic faith and I realized on our seats, these, these verses do not say what we've always been told they said. Uh, mm -hmm. they the Bible does not uh, preclude uh, LGBTQ people from being Christian. And when I made that choice um, to, to move my theology at that particular piece, that's when I got fired from the church in Arizona that I was at. Uh, and that kind of set me on a new career path of, of saying, okay, now I'm much more progressive in my theology, uh, but I still am somewhat compelled by Christianity. Mm -hmm. and somewhat compelled by Jesus still. So how do I how do I be a progressive Christian? What the heck does that look like? Right. And that's that's what Kate and I are trying to do. So we're trying to figure out uh, with our church, with our podcast, uh, we're trying to create resources and avenues and ways of being in the world for people who identify as progressive and yet are still compelled by Christianity. We think that's a pretty, pretty fascinating lane to be in. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're that's where we're trying to be and where we're trying to lead from and, and uh, invite people to. That's great. Um, well, obviously, I've been a big fan for a long time. So, you had two different experiences, and they couldn't be more different, even though they had the same outcome, right? So, you got fired, asked to leave, and then you from one space, which made sense, right? Like you had basically outgrown it, your theology wasn't in line anymore. Uh, but then you were in another space and you had to leave and it was still one of those spaces where you're like, okay, this was kind of something that I felt like I always had. Yeah. Can you talk about the differences between the yeah, being yeah. asked to leave and then the, okay, now I gotta yeah, go. Yeah, sure, so you're referencing, so I was essentially fired from two churches in two years. Yep. So it's a spiritual gift of mine. So yes. If anybody needs tips, I can help. Uh, but yeah, the first firing was over a, you know, a theological difference. So the church said, look, we just can't have you on staff anymore if this is what you believe about um, homosexuality in the Bible. Not that I was teaching it, not that I was advocating for it, although I wish I would have now looking back. But at the time, I was trying to just sort of, I was trying to keep my job. We had a home and three and a half kids. Right. And I was trying to figure out how can I still do ministry in this context, but they made that decision for me. They said, no, you can't be here uh, because you are you're a threat to the flock, basically. Like your, your ideas and the slippery slope that you're on is a threat to the flock. And then, and that, and that led us to a different church here in San Diego, which is what I moved to. And we were here about a year and a half, and yeah, as you referenced, ultimately I did get fired from the church, but it was, it was the initial sort of catalyst was, as you said, a sense that Kate and I had that we, this is not, this is not a good space for us. Mm -hmm. This is not a good space for us. And the difference is, one, yes, I was kicked out because of my theology. The other, I found myself no longer fitting in mm -hmm. with some of the, the leadership there because, well, for a number of reasons, but I think overall, their ideas of what healthy leadership and what 
healthy living looked like, which is radically different from mine. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense in which I have a commitment to, to a certain sort of uh, wholeness in life, emotional wholeness, spiritual wholeness, uh, a healthy connection uh, to yourself and to God and to others. Like, those are just some pretty core commitments to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that part of life is about flourishing and, and doing that in a healthy way. And, you know, at this church that I was at, they just had some different ideas of what that looked like. And, and I eventually found myself not really fitting in anymore because I thought, well, wait a minute, I don't know that, that those particular choices are uh, healthy. But that's not like, I didn't see myself as sort of a legalistic sin guy. That wasn't at all what we were talking about. We were just talking about, well, if you call yourself a pastor, then then maybe maybe there, that means you are... are you are setting yourself into a particular way of being in the world that invites people to live as you live. So what I'm saying is, is I, I think I think pastors, and this whatever people can be whatever kind of pastor they want, it's their life. But I think for me as a pastor, part of what the role is, if I'm going to chase after wholehearted, healthy, connected living, mm -hmm. and show you that you can too. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not myself willing to do. Yeah. It's not about being perfect. It's not about. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not about being perfect. It's about saying you can trust what I'm saying because I'm living it as well. Mm -hmm. And at this other church, they were kind of just um, not they, but but the people who held the power, which mm -hmm. wasn't me. So the people who held the power just had different ideas about what uh, what that sort of living look like mm -hmm. and my insistence that maybe that wasn't the best way to be again was a threat to them and, uh, and it was just it just got real toxic real fast so yeah. so, so then it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about because I've sure. sort of made a commitment to you know I, and you're not asking me to air dirty laundry not I, I know that yeah. um, but I find myself sometimes stumbling over like how to talk about it in more abstract ways because it was a it was a funky season of my life, and um, but yes. Well, like the sense of from afar, right? Because I wasn't even there. Like a podcast is best, and then not even always. You know, sometimes they don't even get posted. Um, yeah. Went back in the day. Yeah. But uh, I know what you're kind of talking about. That there's a striving. That there's an effort that needs to be involved with stuff. Mm -hmm. Kind of in our more regressive days, I think they would like call it like don't put Jesus back on the cross over and over again. Which is weird, but more it's about like right. I know, right? <laughs> like when you choose to send, you do it again. It's like, oh, that's rough. <laughs> um, but more so, it's the trying to be better, mm -hmm. trying to like be and live that example. It's really uh, like a lot of folks have always been interested. They've asked me if I've ever thought about getting in ministry, and that whole like lodestone, lead them off message has always scared me a little yeah, bit. Yeah. That's a big challenge for me, yeah. and I have a lot of flaws. Anger, which is raising a lot of violence, um, frustration, impatience. Like, I think there's just a lot, lot, lot more work that needs to be done here before that's a possibility. Sure. Teacher works, you know. Teacher, professor, coach, whatever. That, that's my spot, uh, and it does well there because for me, I can show the aim and the goal and show my effort towards working towards yeah. the goal. Yeah. Um, but then I'm kind of like safer framed in this space of like a classroom or a setting that makes a difference for me. Yeah. So uh, after getting asked to leave again, yeah. you find yourself in a living room with a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. so Kate and I uh, 
we had relocated our family here to San Diego. And even though our almost two years at the, the church that I was eventually ousted from again, even though that ended, ended poorly while we, were, while we were here at that church, we developed like genuine relationships and friendships with people. Mm -hmm. And I say that because prior to, so for instance, our time in Arizona, I, it was hard to build uh, genuine friendships there because uh, myself and Kate were, were pretty closed off mm -hmm. because we, because we weren't super safe talking about a lot of the things that we were thinking about and feeling. And so when you're, you know, when you're not, when you're, when you're closed off, you just, that's, that's not how you build connection. You build connection by opening up right. and showing yourself to others and then doing the same thing and that's how you build bonds. So when we moved here to San Diego, we were able to actually do that. I say that because then when I got fired, we still had this beautiful community of friendships that they looked at me and Kate and they said, look, first of all, you two are more our pastors at this church than the other pastor. But, and second of all, like, we, that group could, sit, could identify sort of pretty clearly that there was health over here and not health over here. Mm -hmm. And so they came around us and they said, look, if you guys will stay in San Diego and, and help us all keep chasing after this idea of, of how to be a progressive person in the world living in the way of Jesus, um, then we will help support you. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that next Sunday after getting fired, people, about 13, 14 people just came over and had breakfast. Um, and we hung out, I think we might have taken communion. Uh, and then between that and the next Sunday, Kate and I made the decision, let's let's try it. Like we, we've been talking about church planning for years, mm -hmm. but the time and the place never felt right. And now the place felt great because we love San Diego. We love living here, we love raising the kids here. Uh, and the timing felt right because then we had these people that, that we wanted to keep doing community with mm -hmm. and they were willing to uh, support us and help make it happen. So we started the church in our living room, and uh, it was madness. We did it for three months in, the, in our living room before we couldn't fit anymore. And then we moved to the school, and we've been doing it for four and a half years. But but for Kate and I, we, we I think the reason why we did it, and maybe we had different reasons. In fact, we've talked about it before. Like we each have our own reasons as to why we, after two painful experiences back to back with churches, why why I'm still in the game. Mm -hmm. Like why, yeah. why? Why go back to the hand uh, that keeps biting you? But I think for me, I'm able to separate the harmful actions of people, which you're going to get anywhere, mm -hmm. anywhere. It doesn't matter your vocation, doesn't matter um, where you're at in life. People in relationships always have the capacity for harm. I'm able to separate that, uh, and even and even the historical harms of the church. Able to separate that with the potential for what I think the church can be. Mm -hmm. And for me, I still feel this calling to to get into that wave, uh, that historic wave of uh, men and women who are orienting themselves in a particular way of being in the world, and what that the capacity and the potential that has to make a, a lasting difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I think the church can still be and do that. Yeah. And so I'm I'm not prepared to throw that baby out with the rest of the bathwater. So. Yeah, so we stuck around, and uh, we're still doing it, and I think we'll be doing it for a long time. Well, like I said uh, before, we sat down. It's growing. Yeah, like it's connecting. It's resonating. What do you think? Which is which is a, a why do you think that is? I 
Yeah, there's two interesting responses to that. One is it's surprising that it's growing mm -hmm. because we, our demographic is pretty niche. Or Very. Is it, or is it niche? Niche, niche? I think it's tomato, tomato. Niche? <laughs> I don't think it's niche. It is a, it's, a, it's a pretty slim demographic of people because you have to, not you have to, but by and large, if you're going to feel like Sojourn is a, is, a, is a space for you, there's some sense in which Christianity can't repulse you too bad. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Lots of people who come don't identify as Christian, and, and they they definitely belong there. But we also do frequently teach from the Bible and use sort of Christian language. And when we first started, we said we were uniquely Christian, but not exclusively, because mm -hmm. we wanted the name that we recognize that, that truth and beauty come in all shapes and sizes. Um, but we might still have a particular flavor that looks and smells Christian. So you kind of have to somewhat be down with that a little bit. You definitely have to be progressive. Mm -hmm. And that means different things to different people, but you know, some benchmarks are that LGBTQ people are um, made in the image of God and love children of God just as they are, <laughs> fully welcomed and affirmed and celebrated in the humanity, uh, full range of humanity. Uh, you have to be down with uh, women and men being equal and mm -hmm. there not being a hierarchy of gender. Uh, you have to be down with, uh, um, with crushing white supremacy in all of its forms. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of important to us. So, and then you also have to, I think, be okay with the fact that we are a church. Mm -hmm. We meet on a Sunday and we have music and we have communion. And I think a lot of people who have stories similar to ours who have been hurt by the church or burned by the church or kicked out or left, they don't want something to look and smell and sound like church. They want to meet in a bar on Tuesdays and have spiritual conversation, which is amazing. I'm not putting down meeting in a bar on Tuesdays and having spiritual conversations, but those typically don't last. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's not right. Uh, they're not a real uh, sustainable. Yeah, there's not a sustainable model there. And where do the kids go? Like when right. when your hipsters start having kids, where do the kids go? Right. So, um, so it's, my point is, is it's kind of surprising that our church has been growing um, because the demographic is pretty specialized. But the other response is, it's not at all a surprise to me that we're growing, because the number of people who are finding themselves disillusioned with the church of their youth, the number of people who are finding themselves disillusioned with uh, Christianity that excludes people and limits people's access to uh, grace, um, that is just growing by leaps and bounds. And, and I think what we offer at Sojourn is, is a holistic community where we want people to be whole and well in all, their mind, body, and soul, like in all the ways you want them to be whole. And that's really intoxicating to people. People want wholeness, they want abundance, they want flourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to be in community with people who can be authentic and transparent and real about life uh, and, and, and rejoice with them when they have happy things and weep with them when they have sad things. Like this is something people are still like thirsty for. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's also not surprising I'm growing because I think I think what we have to offer is really, really good. Mm -hmm. And when people find it, they're like, ah, oh, yes. I didn't even know I was looking for this, but this is what I've been looking for for so long. So I'm super hopeful, yeah. um, uh, but there's a lot of hurdles. Yeah. Sure, there's a lot of hurdles. Well, and I was curious about the hurdles, because again, I only get to check up on the distance, and I don't know how like certain mechanics go, and you don't have to tell me any backgrounds that I don't need to know, or you're uncomfortable sharing. But having like, Coming from a different church background, like I know there was a time, I can't remember, it was a couple years ago, where you're talking about like tithing and like being part of things. 
and I was like, oh my gosh, like, Colby's having a hard time getting people, like, contributing to the community. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I was like, why would you not do that? You know, just being born in a certain space and raised with a certain tradition. Uh, but more, more than anything else, it's, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, when you share your bread and fishes, right? Yeah. Like, that's just what you do. Yeah. And it's not much, really. Yeah. You know, when, and not to get all prosperity gospel, um, but like when you do that little bit extra, everybody else starts sharing a bit more. And just because the world starts sharing a bit more, mm -hmm. that means there's more sharing when it's time for your need to come up. Yeah. You don't share because of your need. You share because then you see there's more than enough. Yeah. And you don't get stingy, you don't get worried, you don't hoard, you don't get me-focused, you're much more we-focused. Yeah. Um, but that's a challenge, right? And then sometimes people are coming to you with um, being hurt by the church, incredibly hurt. You know, I know uh, LGBT folks especially. You know, sure, for good whenever, reason. Uh, absolutely. I'm like, if you never want to be Christian, you totally shouldn't, and yes. I get that. Um, but, like, I find something, I get something out of my connection to something bigger. And I don't, uh, but then, you know, right, so there's the tithe thing, there's the, you know, there's the tradition of Jesus being the truth, the way, and the light, right? Like yeah. the way, right? And so you have yeah, to. Yeah, well, okay, let's that. stick with the money thing real quick. Yeah. Because right? I do think that's a really interesting conversation. Because a lot of people who find Sojourn or find any sort of progressive type of church, mm -hmm. they have really good reasons for not trusting churches. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're, they're willing to show up again into a space like Sojourn. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, but they might be a little more clenched with their wallets. Sure. For good reasons. Yeah. And I get that. Right. Um, we've had a lot of people come that, um, that you know, mistrust an institutionalized religion at all. Mm -hmm. And so the expect or, or the hope would be, can't we all just sort of, why does anybody have to get paid? Why do we have to rent facilities? Why do we have to have any sort of overhead? Yeah. And and they look at some random verse in the, in the Bible and be like, see, the original church just did this. To which I'm always, inviting them to go a couple chapters later and say, you realize how quickly they had to organize, how quickly they had to turn their movement into an institution. Like, just they gave everything, like literally everything. Yeah. They're like, yeah, just, you know, give it out as necessary. Yeah. We trust you. Yeah. So really quickly, the early church had to figure out how to build processes and structures that would make it sustainable. So one of the hurdles we've had to overcome is re-energizing people around this idea that giving money to an organization and an institution is not inherently a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that church being an institution and organization is not inherently a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it can become a bad thing, mm -hmm. always. Yeah. Of course, but it doesn't, it's not inherently a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And then we have to move people to a space of, and actually it's beneficial for everyone in the community when you set aside a few people who are designating their entire sort of selves and energies to the well-being of this organization. Yeah. Yes, it would, sure, if you live in a perfect world, we could all run off volunteers, but if you've ever tried to organize volunteers, you get about two solid weeks out of them, yeah. <laughs> and then and then that's about it. So uh, historically, the church, for better or worse, has seen, oh, it makes sense to set aside individuals to say, will you please give your full attention and time and energy to this thing, mm -hmm. and, and we will provide your cost of, we, we, will, we will pay you for it. Right. These are hard things for, for people to, to get over. And, and we also live in a, I think about how much our media saturation has told us about uh, large 
nonprofit organizations that have squandered people's uh, yeah. gifts, and so people have this mistrust of nonprofit organizations, uh, and they always want to see how low is your overhead, as though that is like a sign of an organization's health. It's not a sign of an organization's health, by the way. Like overhead, it doesn't really tell you anything. Uh, it really doesn't. Um, but that's a we're totally getting off track here. So one of the big challenges has been. Once you liberate people from this idea that you have to give money because it's part of an obligation to, to please God, mm -hmm. once you say, no, 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 you don't have to give money, you don't have to show up at church and God will still love you. Yeah. Once you liberate people from that sort of uh, fear, um, sometimes they will take you up on it and be like, okay, cool, then I don't need to give or I don't need to show up at church. Um, and then the challenge is like, okay, but now how can we inspire you and, and, remind, and energize you with a mission of our organization mm -hmm. to say, no, 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 Actually, now it makes a lot of sense to give money to this thing because you believe in this mission. Like you do, you believe in it, right. and you're excited about it, and you want this to exist in the world. And the, and one of the ways it exists in the world is um, because our world requires requires money is by giving it money. So anyway, it's been a huge um, struggle, but we have always, from the beginning of our church, we've always been able to pay all the bills, mm -hmm. and, and solely funded by the people who like we're not supported by any outside organization or denomination. So we've had amazingly generous, faithful people from the get-go. Yeah, that is a, one of the reasons why I sail this route is because I'm conscious of how many church planners are out there trying to figure out how to start communities like Sojourn, and that's one of the biggest obstacles is is uh, is money. Yeah, is money is, is is how do we get people to believe that it is good to give money to a church again? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too because not having necessarily, like, you know, being in a space where I get to go to church home every week. So for Michelle and I, we just widen our notion of tithing, yeah. right? And yeah. I'm like, well, we had this this money, a certain percentage of it should just go to good works, good people doing good things to make the world a better place, right? Spreading that goodness out there. So sometimes we'll just. Um, uh, give it to like food banks or sometimes we'll give it to uh, like there's organizations that are working with undocumented folks in Phoenix and so we're like let's give it to them there's folks working on ending mass incarceration so we'll give it to them so I think uh, another potential good wedge that you have there is that connection that you have with the um, I don't know what to call that center in Mexico that you were working with oh the children's home okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but you have a clock to click down thing you yes. just be like give to this social justice thing That's right. that can be a thing where like hey if you're worried about the church thing just give to these yeah you know yeah and I think that makes such a big difference too but you know I think do think there is that Malachi verse is weird you know, test me, test me in these things, and see if I don't give you the overflow of abundance. Yeah, that's when it comes to time. Used and abused. Oh, it? I know, I know. And dot dot dot. Right. There seems to be some sort of truth in it. I know. <laughs> it's kind of a both and. Uh -huh. It's uh, it's how dare you use that to manipulate people into giving? Yeah. And also, what if it's real? <laughs> right. And and for me, my experience has been not that there's some divine being that rewards people for giving, but that when people have a posture of giving, when they have a posture of generosity, that opens them up to the flow of the universe in, a, in, in a real specific ways. Mm -hmm. That closed off, clinching, hoarding my resources does not. Yes. So when we open up and when we give, we it's like we find ourselves awake to the flow of, of grace mm -hmm. and 
yeah, you're going to notice a whole lot more things coming your way, material and or not. Like, mm -hmm. that, so it's totally real. Yeah. It's, it's just not, for me, it's not in, you know, the, uh, the divine vending machine. Exactly. It's right. not that. It's just wholer fullerness, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's absolutely something real to when we give, um, it comes back around in all sorts of ways.